Well, I do want to say Happy Father's Day. I want to say Happy Father's Day to my father. I haven't gotten around to that yet, but I will definitely need to get on that uh, reminder. To talk to my dad. Say hi. Say happy birthday. It was his birthday yesterday, so I called him yesterday. Um, but Happy Father's Day to us all. You know, when I think about Father's Day, um, I... It, I got to be honest, I, I learned a lot from my father, and I don't know if you can think of things that you learned from your father. Maybe your father taught you cooking. I, I, I know some of your fathers were cooks, and they grilled, or they uh, just taught you cooking. Maybe your father taught you to t change a tire. Maybe your father taught you about how to mow the lawn. I can remember uh, yard work was sort of one of my father's passions a little bit, and he was always getting out there on Saturday morning. And <clears throat> if I was not out there at um, 7.30 on Saturday morning helping, Somehow the lawnmower would magically start underneath my window um, where I was asleep. And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and out the door I would run because it, it, it's early morning, Texas heat. you got to get the yard work started early. What did you learn from your father? Well, one of the things I learned a lot from my father was about money and stewardship. It's interesting. My, my father, uh, some of you all know this, ended up becoming a professor in seminary. But his main thing that he taught about, his main passion was about money and was about stewardship and how we are stewards of all that God gives us. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6 is also about stewarding the possessions, being someone who takes care of the things that God has entrusted to us. It's not our own. It really our whole lives and all that God gives us belongs to Him. The Scripture tells us that each of us has a father that disciplines us as our fathers thought best in Hebrews 12. But our Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good. God teaches us for our good. So this morning, let's look at what our Heavenly Father has to teach us through the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, or it's right on the screen for you. In verse 3 it says, Hey, if anybody teaches you something else teaches you otherwise, teaches you other than what Paul has been writing to us. He says, and he doesn't agree with sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, they're conceited. They're full of themselves. They understand nothing, Paul says. In fact, um, they have an unhealthy interest, he says, in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. They are in constant friction between those people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and guess what? We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Those who want to get rich, well, they actually fall into a temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people who are eager for money, they've wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. And skipping to verse 17, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, 
to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that truly is life. Okay, what did we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we read through that? Did you pick up on some of Paul's main ideas? Well, I wanted to show you that there was actually an interesting contrast. Paul gives God's warnings about some traps, some things that can enslave you, some things that can derail your life. God's warnings versus God's ways. God's warnings versus God's ways. And in fact, they all kind of center around sort of this thing that often reveals where our heart is, and that's money. Money. All right, let's look at this. Warning number one. Warning number one in this passage was actually all about false teachers. False teachers. Now, what's interesting, the New Testament, surprisingly maybe to some, has a lot to say about those who taught things that are false. Most of the book of Galatians was about the Judaizers teaching something false. Most of the book of Jude, most of the book of 2 Peter were all about false teachers. Things in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John were all about false teachers. People who in the early church were misleading the people, leading them away from truth. And to be honest, in the church today, there are false teachers. There are things that people within the church are teaching that are out to derail our faith. And and honestly, it's in the world too, right? All around us we are surrounded by all kinds of philosophies and ideologies, things that could take us away. Look at what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 3. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Here's one example that Peter ties their motivation as greed. He shows that often that financial peace reveals the heart of these false teachers, even within the church. I always wonder about book deals or movie deals or speakers who who seem to have large fees to come and charge to to preach or, or share at your church. Brothers and sisters, there ought to be a little bit of an antenna going up that warns us if it's all about the money, if it's all about the financial package. Now, I know people have to make a living, and I know that ministers in some ways do need to, to often, or Paul tells us that they should actually earn their money from, from the gospel. I mean, that, that, that's not a wrong thing. That is not a bad thing. It's not to all be done for free. Though it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul says that he and Barnabas, when he's speaking to the Corinthians, says, look, we were able to offer free of charge because we want nothing to hinder the gospel. What is the heart of that that minister? If it's all about the money, if it's all about the greed, there ought to be something wrong. We see this picked up in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's talking about people who teach otherwise, something that's contrary to sound doctrine, something that doesn't gel or jive with the Word of God all the way through, something that seems to be, well, gosh, I've never heard that before. If you've never heard that before, maybe there's a reason why you've never heard that before. Paul, in the book of first, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, it's no problem for me to write the same things to you again. And guess what? He says, that's a safeguard for all of you. <laughs> the, 
right? It's a safeguard. Hearing it over and over again. The same things being repeated throughout the scriptures. God does not change. He's not making up some kind of new special insight. In fact, in the early church, there were people called the Gnostics. They were the ones who said there was a secret knowledge. Something special you haven't heard yet. Something, hey, and if you give me a little money, I'll let you in on the secret. Brothers and sisters, that is, that is big time warning signs. Watch out for false teachers. What do they have? Look in verse 4. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and in quarrels and in words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, suspicions, and cr- constant frictions. I'm going to say this to us as, as believers, as a church. We have to be very careful to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. That we're focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the call to love our neighbors, the call to proclaim Jesus as King of eternity and the only way to salvation. We've got to. There are plenty of side issues that people become enamored with. We watched even our own denomination for this part of this church is very much enamored with what I think is a side issue and 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 struggling over these things and causing controversies. We don't want to get trapped. What does it say? Corrupt mind who've been robbed of... Wait, we'll back up one. Uh, uh, Quarrels about words, envy, strife, malicious talk, suspicions. Brothers, most of those involved in controversy that are in this week, it seems like have a pretty healthy... uh, Some of them are like doing what's right, and others seem to have an unhealthy interest in controversy. We cannot be pulled in to the controversies that, that will derail and sideline a church. We lose our power. We think, oh, well, what's doctrinal purity? Guys, the doctrinal purity needs to be about who Jesus is, about what God's Word is, and about what the, the center of the gospel. That's what we have to absolutely defend with everything we've got. But side issues, where there's Paul talks about in Romans 14, now about disputable matters. There are disputable matters. There were some in the early church and there's some today. We can get caught up in that. And honestly, sometimes it's more fun to argue about that than to tell our neighbor about Jesus. Let's not become those that are of a corrupt mind, interested in envy, strife. And once again, the warning, there it is, right at the end of verse 5. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Don't go into ministry to get rich. I'm just going to let you know um, (laughs) that there are other strategies for that. It needs to not be about the money. In fact, Jesus says it this way, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. That's warning number two. Warning number one was about, hey, you, you can't watch out for these false teachers. But the real warning of this chapter focuses on loving money. Because I think very few of us get caught up in maybe false teachings, but a lot of us get caught up into <clears throat> loving money. No, not us. I mean, I'm sure there's those rich, you know, billionaires out there. We need to raise their taxes, maybe. Or maybe not, I don't know. But we've got to tax somebody, and then just not me. <laughs> um, hey, other people love money, but not me. It's the other people that love money, not me. Look what First Timothy chapter 6 says. He says, those who want to get rich. Wait. Those who want to get rich? Verse 9, have you seen that? Those who want to get rich, look look at that next slide. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. 
But wait, I, I mean, what? Am I supposed to want to get poor? I don't want to get poor, do I? I, I mean, it's not like I want to be rich, rich. I mean, a little rich wouldn't be bad. I mean, how, how, what, what do you mean? I, I'm supposed to be saving my money, right? What, what do you mean those who want to get rich? Fall into temptation? A trap? Foolish and harmful desires? Ruin and destruction? Do you see the words that are highlighted there? Those seem pretty bad. I'm just trying to make a little money here. I'm just trying to save for retirement here. I just want to pay off my house. Is this bad? Is this wrong? Well, no. Paying off your house, getting out of debt, that's actually a good thing. Um, Trying to, to save for retirement, that's being responsible. I mean, all of those things are good. But when we start loving the money, it can cause problems. He goes on to say this in verse 10, for the love of money, not the money itself, not being out of debt, that's a good thing. But the love of the money is a root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. And some people who are eager for that money, they just got to have it. They got to have it. They've wandered from the faith, and they've actually pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, here's the deal. When we talk talking about loving money, it's the other guy. It's not me. I mean, I'm not a lover of money. None of us are the big rich people. None of us just love it. Here's what God, I think, has shown me over some time. There are different ways that we love money. And just go ahead and put your toes on out there because we're probably going to get stepped on here in a minute. But I think that all of us love money in one way or another. That there's something about it that just pulls at our heart. There's something about it that just gets us. Okay, some of you guys, and maybe me, are obsessive acquirers. That's what I call them. I don't know. I just make it, it makes it rhyme. Okay, it's obsessive There are those people that got to get the stuff. Do you guys remember the old A-team and Mr. T? Do you guys, anybody remember Mr. T, you know? And when he would come out, he had more gold chains. I just kept thinking, how many gold chains can that guy have? And rings and all those kinds of, I mean, that's how just Mr. T, that was his thing. I don't think he had shirts. He just had gold chains at one point. Um, he He had a lot of, how many gold chains did the guy need? I don't know, but apparently he would need one more. Um, he just had a lot of gold chains. Do you know the people that have just got to have more stuff? Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's always another thing. They're always showing you, here's what I bought. Here's what I... It's just they, 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 then you don't even have to be a hoarder. You can get rid of it. But they've got multiple, maybe, perhaps, um, storage facilities, right? How much do we need? How much do we need? Is it one more shirt? Is it one more jacket? Is it one more pair of shoes? There's that idea that they just like to spend money on things. They need to have stuff. Look at what Jesus says. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in what? That's it. Abundance of possessions. Yeah, but let me show you my... Let me... Let me. I was showing off a... We put out a new retaining wall in front of my house. Whew. Got out there. I put the top layer on. My neighbor did all the real work. He did all the digging and the leveling and the. I just laid the last few bricks. But you know, oh, look, 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 how, well, look what I did. Is that bad? Is that wrong? Well, if it's always that obsession with look what else I've got for my house, look what else I have for my car, we can get into this abundance of possessions. Well, some of you guys don't care about possessions. That's not your thing. Your thing is saving money. 
Everything is safe. Those irrational savers. You know who I'm talking about, right? You just want to save, and sa- you just love to watch money grow. You just want to see it more and more and more. I'll be honest. If there was a lesson I learned from my dad, it was probably that. What do you got to do? Son, are you, have you started putting them into a, an IRA? Or have you started your 403B or 401K plan? You know, if you do a Roth IRA, okay. I know, Dad, I'm only 16. I know, but we could get that started now. Um, do, do you know, let me explain to you how compound interest works. And the more time you have, I got that over and over and over. You know, save money, save money. And I remember as a young couple, Vicki and I kept asking the financial planning type people, so how much do we need for your retirement? You know what the answer is? More. I mean, it's just it's more. I mean, you always need more. It, 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 it's just a little bit... Sometimes it's irrational. How much can you save? How much could you ever spend in your lifetime? Sometimes those of us that are these obsessive savers, look what it says in verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. We read this. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant or put their hope in their wealth. See, that's me. I become arrogant. I keep saying things like, "Eh, I've done pretty well. God's really blessed us. Of course, it's been my financial wisdom here. I kept putting away my money. Oh, look how my 401k plan has grown. Look how my plan, until it, about two years ago, and then it was like, oh dear, <laughs> where'd it go? <laughs> I don't know if some of you guys felt that too. I used to not look. Now I look, and I, I think I'm going back to not looking. Um, but that irrational savings, I've just got to put more in. I've just got to put more in. Now, I'm not an advocate of savings. We're actually supposed to. In fact, the proverb says, dishonest gain um, dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little, look at Proverbs 13, though whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So saving money is not a bad thing, but when we become obsessive savers, my grandparents were those that lived through the Depression, and so it was all about savings, right? I can remember uh, my aunts and uncles telling the stories about cleaning out my grandmother's apartment, which she had in the, in the retirement center, and um, <clears throat> don't throw anything away before you fully explore that book, right? Because all of a sudden you're finding, oh, there's $100 bills in between the pages. Oh, don't, you know, watch out where grandma's hidden some rings in one of those books where they've cut out the pages, and she snuck a few of those in there. What, look out what's under the mattress. It didn't, you know, my grandfather, saver, boy, he saved money. He did not spend it. At the end, watching grandma have to really struggle to get up to the stairs to the only bathroom in the house, he could have added a bathroom. He had plenty of money in the bank, but he wasn't going to spend it. He wasn't going to spend it. God has provided us money as a tool to be used. Sometimes we can be irrational savers and love money that way. Some of you guys, um, that was a foreign foreign discussion to you altogether because you're not an irrational saver. You're an undisciplined spender, right? It's like it burns holes in your pocket. You just enjoy. You've got $2. Well, You used to be able to buy a two-liter, but now you can't. Um, you have $2, maybe you can buy a candy bar. Well, okay, maybe not anymore. But you got $2. I don't know what you can get for $2 anymore, but you were hopeful you could get something. If you've got some money, you've got to spend it immediately. Um, <clears throat> you know what the, when we say, when we refer to a prodigal son, you know what that means, right? The story of the prodigal son, the most famous story in the Bible. Prodigal actually can mean now someone who kind of goes away or leaves what their parents ha- wanted them to do. But the actual definition of prodigal 
is someone who's spending money recklessly, resources wastefully or extravagantly. It's when the prodigal son took the money that the father had and blew it all on wild living, that was originally what was meant by being a prodigal uh, son. Some of us are just those that we just love to spend. It's not that we have to acquire anything. We'll just spend it on things that just, boy, I just had to have another Starbucks today. And all of a sudden it was just gone. But it just for some reason makes us happy or we just enjoy spending it. We can be lovers of money that way. Some of us are security seekers. Now, kind of like the savers, but you're really just trying to hold on to it because you think that it, it, it's what provides you security. Again, look at what Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6. He says, command them what? Not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly possess, uh, provides us everything for enjoyment. It's not just about having the money. That's not where our true security comes from. Our security comes from the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, I like this little verse. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it is a wall that is too high to scale. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine, and we do, it's like, well, i got enough money to cover that. Oh, I've got something in the savings for that. That's not bad. It's good to do that. But our true security doesn't come from the money that's in the bank. It comes from the Lord. Wealth is so uncertain. We imagine it will take care of us, but it's the Lord who provides. Okay, those are some warnings. Don't be a lover of money. Can I show you how the same passage kind of gives a remedy for this love of money? God's ways are actually a remedy for the warnings that God gives. Watch this. It's in the same passage. God's way, number one, is to be content. Be content. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Be content. It's like, I got enough. This is enough for me. Do I need another pair of shoes? These are still working. Okay, be content with what you got. Yeah, but there's, it's on sale. It, it'll be on sale next year too. Guess what? It's going to be okay. There will be something. I don't need it now. Be content with what you have. So often we just are trying to meet some other need. We're loving that way the, the new possession or spending the money makes us feel. That's being a lover of money. Instead, learn to be content. Satisfied with what God has provided, with what God gives. I, I, I remember a, a graduation speech a couple years ago. Uh, I was watching the video of it, and Denzel Washington, the actor, was speaking uh, to these college graduates, and he was saying to them, he said, okay, guys, I just want to let you know, <clears throat> no one is bringing a U-Haul behind their hearse. No one's bringing a U-Haul behind the hearse. You're not taking it with you. The accumulating of stuff does not work. There is a dead end, meaning when you're dead, <laughs> there's an end. Um, it's going to stop. The stuff is going to go away. It's going to rot. It's going to mildew. It's going to go away. Be content with what you have. Number two, God in this passage tells us to be generous. Be generous. Look in, again in verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich to do what? Do good. 
to be rich in good deeds. He makes a little play on words there, right? It's all about money. Don't just try to accumulate riches. Don't just try to get wealthy, but instead be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. Learn to be rich in good deeds. Where are you investing your life? Sometimes it's like, well, I guess I could make a little more money here. I could make a little more, you know, <clears throat> time here. I'm, I'm going to confess my sins. I might as well. Um, <clears throat> There was an open class that I got an email I saw this past week that said, hey, uh, there's no one had filled this other class. I've already got three for the semester. If I do three classes and I'm doing the pastor job and we're helping with campus ministry, my plate is full. But it is a lot of money if I take them teaching an extra class. And there was one that was open that I've already got planned. That's half the battle, right? Couldn't I just slip in? And it was on Tuesday, Thursday. I had that time slot open. <clears throat> Fortunately, the guy had filled it. Whew, thank you, God. I think he saved me. It was greed. I thought I could get a little more money. I could put a little bit more in the Roth IRA. I could do a little bit more. I could pay off the house faster. I could just get... I, I would t I'd do something nice for my wife on vacation. Maybe that's it. I can I'll give some to the Lord. I've got all kinds of reasons. But the reality is... Instead of taking, it would be taking time away from doing good. It'd be taking time away from discipleship. It'd be taking time away from what God has called me to do to try to make a little bit more money. Thank you, God, for protecting me from my own love of money. You see, be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Brothers and sisters, giving, we're commanded by God to give. But giving is what actually helps keep my heart in the right place. People say, well, you know, the New Testament, we're not necessarily commanded to tithe. That's an Old Testament command. Guys, you, we need to begin with this idea of, look, it all belongs to the Lord. You need to give what you can. You need to give with a cheerful heart. But I'm telling you, start off tithing. Start off doing that thing. Do what God says because it is good for you and your heart. Because it is not you. I need to learn to give because as I learn to give, it puts my heart in the right place. I need to be willing to share. It gives me joy. I'm glad my parents gave me money to give in. And when I began to mow yards, right, as a young teenager, they were like, okay, how much you make? $10. All right, you're putting a dollar in the offering plate, right? Yes, Dad. Right, right. You know, I, I, actually, I, they paid me a $10 bill, Dad. I'm not really sure. He'd pull out his wallet. Well, here we go. I'll make change for you. He was ready. He knew my answers. It became a joy in my life, not a burden. It became a joy because God's ways are to be joyful. Look what it says in verse 17. Command those who are rich, to be, uh, who are rich in this world not to, to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, but put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. It's okay to have the things, but as I give, I learn to take joy in what God has for me. Ecclesiastes says the same thing. I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person uh, who is under the sun than to eat, to drink, to be glad. Uh, the joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of this life that God has given them under the sun. There was a time in which I used to think, oh, maybe I should just give all of my money away. I'll have one shirt and one pair of pants probably two underwear. But, but I just, I, 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 I'll just, I'll just, I'll give everything away. That's the best way to honor God. I'll live like a, like, 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 
No, God has given us to enjoy life. You can go on vacation. It's not a sin. It's okay to spend some money. That is fine. But you balance that with the joy of giving. Start with saying, how can I leverage my income for the kingdom and for others? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Brothers and sisters, this is how we change our focus of our hearts. Finally, be eternal. Be eternal. Now, eternal, you're not, I mean, you are eternal. You're going to live forever, um, either with God in heaven or apart from God forever. Uh, it all depends on your status with Jesus Christ. So you want to know Jesus. You are eternal, but I'm talking about having an eternal mindset, one that invests in the kingdom. What does Paul say in 1 Timothy 6? In this way, you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. How? By being generous eager to share. They go together. You're laying up treasures in heaven so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. The joy comes as I'm part being generous, as I'm investing in eternity, as I'm investing in others. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and uh, vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is what God sort of showed me today. Or not today, but as I was preparing this sermon. That God's ways are a remedy for the ills of our heart. We're all lovers of money. We, we all find ways to love it. But when I'm faithful with God's ways, it helps fix it. When I learn to be content, guess what? It stops me from obsessively acquiring possessions. When I learn to be generous and discipline myself to give money away, it keeps me from irrationally saving and just trying to hoard as much as I can. When I'm joyful in, in living with what God has given me and in giving away what God has given and trusted to me, it keeps me from just spending uncontrollably. When I'm eternal, instead of uh, looking for e temporal security in my money, I realize that no, my eternity is already set because of Jesus Christ. Today, it's a money sermon. Kind of honors my dad a little bit because he taught me a lot about money. He told me some things that were not so good. Even he said lately, he said, I think I saved too much. I'm like, yeah, Dad, I think, yeah. But he taught me to be generous. He taught me to spend on what my life for the kingdom. I think I learned a lot from my dad. But I've learned even more from my heavenly father, who's correcting the ills of my heart. As we learn to manage the money that God has given us in the ways that God is teaching us, it keeps our heart for him in the right place. So when we're singing songs about loving Jesus, oh, the name I love to hear, it really is the name I love to hear because my time, my life, everything I am is invested in that name being glorified, his name being lifted up. This morning, some of you may not have a relationship with the giver of every good and perfect gift, the one who has blessed you with life and all that you have. Today, you can have a relationship with this God who loves you. You can know him 
Because Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He gave everything, bankrupted heaven, putting Jesus, the heir of all things, on the cross for you, that you might have eternal life. How can we not just give our lives back to him? If you will put your faith in Jesus and in what he's done on the cross, then you have forgiveness for your sins and eternal life. If you are here this morning or if you're listening online and you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, today is the day. Put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. For some of you, you're called to invest in this church. You just know that God has placed you here. For this time, your life, your resources, your time effort, if that's you today and you want to come and join this church today, come, come to the front. We'll talk about that during this time of invitation. Or maybe you're a believer. You're part of this church, but you just know that, well, I need to kind of rethink my money a little bit. I, it's not really mine. It's really God's. Maybe I need to rethink a little bit about my priorities and how I've been loving God. And maybe one way to help get a course correction in your life is to say, well, this is what I'm going to do with my finances. This is what I'm going to give to God to help get my heart back in the right place. The worship team, the music team is going to come and lead us in a song. And as they do, if you would like to choose to follow Jesus or if you'd like to join this church or you have another commitment that you feel that you need to come and make, I'm going to be down at the front. Pastor over here and Pastor Barry will be over here if, to receive you. If you would like to come and, and make a decision or pray, we'll be here. and We'd be happy to speak with you about what it is to be a part of this church or to follow Jesus. Come, respond as God is calling you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Just pray that you would help us live our whole lives as an offering to you a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that this would be our acts of worship. God, give us pure hearts. Teach us to walk in all of your ways. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come and stand now as we sing. Respond as God is calling you.